This is why Small Business Matters from Northumbria University, supporting small businesses with the Help to Grow Management Programme. Hello and welcome back to Why Small Business Matters. My name is Matt Sutherland and in today's episode, we discuss the art of engagement and what it means to develop quality relationships in all aspects of your business. These principles that you use to engage your employees, the exact same principles that you use to engage your customers. Because we think, oh, what customers want are these like amazing brand names and things. No, often what they want is just clarity. That was the voice of Scott Gould, International Engagement Advisor. Scott is an international speaker and author on the topic of engagement. He has a proven track record of working with large and small businesses with their engagement and even advises the United Nations. Welcome, Scott. Lovely to see you. And thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Now, I've been looking forward to this because today is all about engagement. And I think anybody listening to this will easily walk away with some hints and tips on how they can be better communicators and improve their engagement. But let's start a uh, create a startup for 10. What do we mean by engagement? Yeah, engagement is one of those words that can mean a dozen different things to a dozen different people. But I think if we can explain it really simply, engagement is togetherness. It's describing the quality of our relationship. So employee engagement, how together are your employees with your organisation? Customer engagement, how together are your customers with your offerings? Community engagement, how engaged are your community with the thing that you do? What is the quality of the relationship? And in your case, audience engagement, how together are your audience with Why Small Business Matters podcast, right? So engagement is togetherness, alignment, connection, and the quality of that. And that sounds like it needs a bit of work. How do how do small businesses listening to this focus on the quality of engagement? How do they break it down? I think, first of all, you recognise that it is worthwhile having a quality relationship as opposed to having a non-quality relationship. Even if you're running something as transactional as a convenience store, having repeat buyers is going to make a big difference to you. Having a low staff turnover as opposed to a high staff turnover is going to really help you and save money, right? The turnover costs of an employee are 120%, right? So it is good for you to not have to keep on finding more customers or more employees out there. So the quality of your relationship, how engaged they are, is a worthwhile thing to invest in. And not just in the long term, but also in the short term. Turns out if someone's engaged, they're going to stay to help you on that later shift. Right? They, they're going to endure the price hike because they're an engaged customer and they care. Um, but then in the long term, they're going to be loyal over a long period of time. So let's just first of all. I mean, and maybe you, hopefully you agree, Matt, Dr. Matt, right, is that, yes, it makes sense to have quality relationships with your employees and customers. Am I on the right page there with that? I think you are. I think if you have good relationships with your employees, they might pass that great motivation and morale on to their customers. Well, yeah, actually. So you're not wrong. Um, One of the landmark texts on engagement talks about how those organisations that optimise for both employee and customer engagement outperform other organizations to a factor of three, 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 3.5 times up to five, 5.2 times. In other words, it's what separates the world's best from the average, right? Is they are five times better because of this effect. So then the question, I guess, is how do you engage? What does it mean? And immediately, if I said to you, how do you really engage your employees or how do you really engage your customers? What 
what would you think of Matt? Just pop, popular thought. What would you think of? If I'm thinking about the people I work with, I think good, um, transparent, but regular communication with mm -hmm. those people on a regular basis, just so they're in the loop, they know that I'm there, is a good starter for 10. That is a really good starter for 10. And actually, I'm a little bit irritating that you gave such a good answer, because I was hoping that you'd give a terrible answer. Because here is what the, here's the, here's the terrible answer, Matt, right? I'll tell you what the terrible answer is. Oh, employee engagement, that means having a slide and having, you know, in, in, in our office and having free dinners and having people can, um, you know, people can sit on beanbags. And we make this fundamental mistake of thinking that we need to copy what Google have done or what any other startup is doing. Actually, those are like the perks. They're the trimmings and the fixings on engagement. And actually, some people don't even want them. Um, turns out that what engages people the most is some real basic stuff. I'm clear about what it is that you want me to do. I can do what it is that you want me to do. And doing what you want me to do actually makes my life worth living, which I know is mind-blowingly novel. But it is not as simple as this. Let me give you some examples, right? I do a lot of work with police forces. Now, the number of police forces that I've worked with where they're really clear about what they need to do but they lack the tools to effectively do what they need to do is astounding. I'm talking about detectives without laptops and without somewhere to sit when they go to work because somebody decided that they should share their laptops and they should share their seats in an open office. Now, it doesn't matter how good the emotional heart perks are of you're giving to you know you're serving this great cause and you get paid really well if fundamentally coming to work means i've just spent two hours hunting for a chair and a laptop it's only a matter of time before i clock out emotionally and then clock out physically am i right i'm right right well, i think we all know that one's right so there are loads of organizations that they make the mistake of not making making things clear to their employees, making things easy or doable, at least for their employees, and then making things beneficial for their employees. And we should say that pay is just a satisfier. Pay is pay is like a, you know, it's what gets you in the door. And then it's going to be other things like flexible working arrangements. I don't mean that you let them work from home all the time, but flip a neck, they should allow to be they should be able to get their kids occasionally from school you know, or do swimming lessons or whatever it might be, you know, um, hopefully give them a chance of actually progressing their career, stuff like this. It's really remarkably simple. The bad companies, what they do is they go, oh, let's do all the Google stuff. Let's have beanbags and free food and let's have this amazing company culture. And they use that to mask over the fact that they don't actually have the fundamentals in place, such as it's clear what I meant to do. At the end of the day, I know if I've had a good day or not. I can do the stuff I need to do. I've got the I've got the tools to do it. And you know what? This doesn't cost me my welfare and time away from my kids to actually do my job. Right. It's, it's, it's often it's as basic as that. Brilliant. So actually that clarity and that understanding of what you've got to do and how you should do it sounds like it's gold dust, but not always done in both small and larger businesses. How do how would a small business that's maybe listening to this, thinking about the team, maybe nine 10, 12 employees, where do they start? Do they just have to evaluate, first of all, on maybe how good they're doing those three things? There's, there's a bit of a myth that large companies are massively different to small companies. I'd like to point out, actually, a large organisation is made of, load of loads of units. 
and those units are lots of small organ small organizations in other words small companies now okay they don't have the same pressure in terms of the budget rises and falls on their neck and they have they have the limited liability whatever it might be okay so there is there's some difference but actually they function in a very similar manner so the question then is if i'm somebody large organization small organization but i've got 12 people working around me am i just making it that we are all clear and then here's the litmus test is everyone clear about what everyone else does right that's the litmus test so it's, it might be easy for me to say well i know what i do but do you know what someone else does and then someone okay so someone might say well scott this sounds like all new fandangled theories no they're not you know over 100 years ago jd rockefeller right the famous rail and oil tycoon richest man in the world at his time he had these 10 principles called the rockefeller habits for amazing organizations and they're things as simple as people know how what they do contributes to the organization's success and they know what their colleagues do contributes to the organization's success another one of his uh, habits was communication flows swiftly through the organization and that was in the day of pigeon carriers when communication only moved as fast as a train right <laughs> or, or or a telegram as that was coming into place now we're in the age of communication moves as fast as light and people are still just as confused as they were as if it was going by pigeon carrier carrier pigeon so the art of actually getting people to sit around a table and go right does everyone here know what everyone else is doing on the team uh, almost you could imagine like you imagine you're a sports team imagine you're a football team imagine you're a basketball team imagine you're a rowing team whatever sport and if you're not sporty imagine you're a reading team imagine you're a sewing team just a team who does what in this team and make sure everyone knows what everyone else does so you are a well-oiled effective operating body that that that's it it's really simple it just takes a bit of time it does and i think so the engagement then really is the glue it's the dna to a great team both i suppose emotionally and in terms of the performance in the business um how much sort of maintenance does great engagement take? Because it, you know, it could sound like a huge amount of work, touching in, um, regularly communicating with various employees, seeing how they're getting on. Um, is that something that might off put off small businesses when they have very little time and very little resource? Yeah, again, it's a bit of a myth. I think it, it something my wife taught me that was really helpful in our marriage early on was she used to say to me, Scott, I don't want a huge amount of love and then nothing for days or weeks afterwards. Rather, give me a little bit of affection often. And she used to do this symbol. She'd get her finger, put it about the size of an inch, and she'd go little, and then she'd move it across, but often, move it sideways, little but often. And that lesson is so good. I think engagement is little but often. We all know the compound benefits of a little bit of exercise every day. One of the hacks that I teach, um, I do a lot of work with the UN. One of the hacks that I teach teams there is your meeting agenda can just be a one sentence. But that one sentence is a billion times better than no sentence. <laughs> no agenda, no outcome, right? So it's it's practicing little but often, little bits of communication. And if you do that for a week, you do that for a month, suddenly you find out we're really clear. 
So this is great. So you're talking about no dedicated software, no expensive um, package that sort of um, you have to buy in and invest. You just need to do little and often using WhatsApp, using email, using phone, just things that you have to your disposal to be able to make sure that engagement is really effective within your team. And what when do you start getting the benefits, Scott? How long would you have to do it then until your team start feeling the benefits of feeling engaged? It can be as quick as 15 minutes. First of all, you're right. It's not about software. If you, most engagement software is BS. All right, I'm, I'm, it, it's, it's nonsense. It's using technology to gloss over the fact that we are just not being human. Right. So that's that's most tech. That's most engagement technology. If you have a meeting where you sit down, you go, right, everyone, let's talk through what our roles are and how each of us makes this body of an organization works. And I want you to tell me honestly what you do and honestly what your struggles are. And you do that for 15 minutes. Immediately, everyone will feel better. You know, when you have those meetings where you go, oh, finally, we're clear. You could have that every day. It just requires the courage to just be honest and not gloss over and hold each other to account. Uh, Yeah. And then the great thing is these principles that you use to engage your employees, the exact same principles that you use to engage your customers. Because we think, oh, what customers want are these like amazing brand names and things. No, often what they want is just clarity. Like, make it clear and easy for me. Make it easy for me to know what it is you offer. Make it easy for me to buy and make it beneficial for me to have bought from you. I was trying to buy the other day my daughter a um, a guide. She does scouts and guides and trying to buy her a guides book. And the website just wouldn't let me um, click pay. Some field somewhere on their digital form was broken and I just could not pay. And it was like it was difficult for me to give them my money. How often are we doing this with not explaining our products simply, but making them all confusing, making them these great names that we think are cool that other people don't get, right? Again, the name of the game is clear and simple communication. Make it easy for people to act and make it beneficial for people to use what you have. Pretty simple, really. It is. And I think that's where the value of today's podcast is, because a lot of the things we're talking about, small businesses can bring into their activity tomorrow. Let's start with employees. Employees are the people who are pushing your business. What what steps could you take to um, start um, making sure they're starting to feel engaged? How could you even work with maybe some of your junior managers to help putting steps in place that are going to make your workforce feel valued? Yeah, so let's break down engagement a little bit more than what we have. Engagement has three kind of types or subtypes to it. The first is what we can call head engagement, Psychologists would call it cognitive engagement. It means somebody understands. And this really has to do with the prefrontal cortex part of the brain. They're able to hold a mental construct of what it is you're describing. The second form of engagement is a hands hands engagement. Uh, we could also call it behavioral. It's the thing that you do. So if you were to say, oh, this person really isn't engaging in the conversation, that would be a hands engagement issue because they're not active someone isn't engaging in the activity, they're not engaging in the sport, whatever it might be. And then the final form of engagement is kind of often forgotten. And this is what we can call heart engagement or affective engagement. 
And it's the long-term bonds that people hold with something that have a sense of meaning and benefit. So the example I use is my wife. I'm not cognitively engaged with my wife right now because I'm not thinking about her. I'm not behaviorally engaged with my wife right now because she's not here. But I am effectively or heart engaged with my wife because I love her deeply, even though I'm not thinking about her or I'm not with her right now. In the same way, people have those same affective heart engagement bonds with their work or with brands or whatever it might be. You know, you ask somebody, what brands do you have heart engagement with? And immediately they'll tell you, right? Oh, you know, I really love Nike or I really love Adidas or I really love this band or that band or I'm an Apple guy or I'm a Samsung woman or whatever it might be, right? So actually, head, hands and heart, do they need to be in that order or can you leap in at different bits? Or do you need to start with head to get the effect of hands to then move through and have that kind of meaning at heart? Neurologically, they do follow that order, but they loop around. So you have to know something in order to do it. And then you have to do something in order to build a heart affection bond with it. Um, So the error is to think that people need to believe something before they will do it. Well, no, they need to do something in order to believe it, actually. Um, But of course, if somebody believes it, then they're more likely to do it in the future. So that's why when it comes to engaging staff, the first thing to do is are people clear? Um, Like literally, you could send out an email to your 12 staff and say, on a scale of 0 to 10, how clear are you about what it is that you need to do day to day? And how clear are you about what difference it makes in our organization? And if you're getting answers that are kind of like five, you need to be or lower then you need to be worried. If you're getting answers that are like eight and nine and ten, then happy days, you're doing pretty well. And if you're getting answers that are like five, six, seven, then, you know, there's room for improvement there. And literally, like you would sharpen a pencil, you just need to sharpen their understanding. Say to them, take a well-spent hour to sit down with two or three people and say, and you have to do these one-on-ones. These can be like one-on-threes. Tell me what it is that you do and how I can make it clearer for you. And then once you've got clarity out of the way, the next thing then is to go, okay, well, are you able? So do you have the tools that you need? Tell me on a scale of one to 10, do you have the tools that you need to do stuff at work? I mean, it might be that some people say, well, you know what, we have to use Teams and it's agony. And you, and then you might go, well, that's just part of the working world. Or it might be that you go, you know what, our software really is awful. Let's find something better. Um, <laughs> and then finally, the last one, the heart one is, is this beneficial to your life? Practically and psychologically, does this make your life better um, in terms of pay, in terms of uh, the sense of joy that you get? Um, you know, well-being is a popular thing. And I guess my definition of well-being is it shouldn't cost you your emotions to go to work. Um, you know, it should mean that when I come home, it hasn't cost me like d- depression to get paid. Um, and so then you, you, know, you ask those questions. And then if you as a leader are just mindful of those questions, I think that begins to sharpen your approach immediately. Now, this is really this is really refreshing because we had a podcast with Natasha Madonna, who's been leading in the mental health for owner managers. Lots of research done with employees, but focusing on owner managers of SMEs. And I'm sure she would resonate with a lot of the, the things you're saying. So this is you, you could take an hour. You could take an hour to do this with your employees and you could get a far granular understanding of how they're working and how they perceive working in your organization. But you also mentioned customers. And actually, a number of our listeners have said to us, you know, retaining customers is key at the minute with the cost of living and inflation. And um, do you follow the same approach with your customers? Yeah. 
you pick a sample of customers and you phone them up. And immediately you weed out good companies from bad companies right there because the ones that say, well, we wouldn't phone our customers, well, there you go, they're the bad companies. I mean, I can see you nodding. For those on the podcast, Matt is nodding and smiling effusively. Uh, you know, that's that's it. You, you, you phone them and you just say, hey, how clear are you on what we have to offer? I have these slides that I show people that I take of businesses. People will design a sign or a menu and they'll think it's clear and it's not clear. And we are often bad judges of clarity. So we need to ask others. So you just ask your customers, tell me, how clear is it? I tell you what, every project that I do, and I'll be doing the same for Matt, I ask for feedback. <laughs> tell me, how clear was I? <laughs> it's uncomfortable, but that's where it begins. Um, and so then your offering needs to be clear. In fact, there's a great scene in the film Margin Call. It's a, I think it's a 2012 film about the Great Recession. And there's this scene where the managing partner of this big firm that's about to, you know, go into major shock as a result of the subprime mortgages, played by Jeremy Irons. And he chats to this young analyst played by Zachary Quinto. And he says, please explain this, explain this problem to me as you would a five year old child or a golden retriever. <laughs> and this is like fantastic moment of. You just need to make your communication clear. And I think customers also like to be empowered. They like to be, they like to receive an email to say, what is your opinion? And actually, I just wonder if that reaching out in that kind of feeling valued might also make them customers and make them there for the long term rather than simply consumers who are just there for, for the short term. So maybe that empowerment is also something that can benefit you commercially. Yeah, I mean, if you follow the process... And we go, right, head engagement, how clear are our customers and potential customers, prospects, leads? I mean, let's say you're working in professional services and you don't have customers as much as you have clients. Right? I have clients. I have potential clients. How, excuse me, how clear are they on what I have to offer? Okay, that's like, like one level of engagement. Level two, are they able to take action? It's surprising how many um, professional service firms, myself included, we are embarrassed about saying, this is my offering, click here to buy. Or email me to say, yes, I want to buy, right? You you need to make that call to action and make them actually able to buy. Um, that's often a tricky thing for us because we get emotionally invested in the offering. And that's a bit of a dangerous thing, isn't it? But leaving that aside for a minute, the third thing then is, is this beneficial? Does this give them psychological and practical value? Well, the way that you really build a long-term value, long-term value with customer and a long-term relationship with a customer is you actually contact them and say, hey, did this give you practical and psychological value, right? You might not use that language, but you show that you're interested in whether what they signed up for delivered what it was they actually wanted. And if it didn't, you invoke a guarantee. <laughs> and if it did, you go, great. What else can I help you with? You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. Find out how Northumbria University can help your business thrive through the Help to Grow Management Programme. Delivered by leading small business and enterprise experts from Northumbria University, 
with the support of leading figures from industry and experienced entrepreneurs. The program supports senior managers of small and medium-sized businesses to boost their business's performance, resilience, and long-term growth. The 12-week program is 90% funded by the government, and the fee payable by participants is £750, and has been designed to allow participants to complete it alongside full-time work. The in-depth, high-quality curriculum supports you to build your capabilities in leadership, innovation, digital adoption, employee engagement, marketing, responsible business, and financial management. By the end of the program, you'll develop a business growth plan to help you lead your business to realize its potential. To find out more about the program, the modules, eligibility, and fees and delivery dates, go to northumbria.ac.uk slash help to grow. You're listening to Why Small Business Matters. My name is Matt Sutherland and my guest today is Scott Gould, international engagement expert. Scott, what are the three unlikely things that create more engagement than anything else? You know, we like to think engagement is all about these really masterful, skillful, amazing things. And yes, that's true. But all of those skillful things have three basic elements that most people miss. And they're very unlikely, but actually they're really powerful. The first clear communication. I mean, achingly clear. I'm talking Ron Seal quick drying varnish. It does exactly what it says on the tin. That level of clarity, right? Don't call your product some whizzical, mystical name. Give it it's give it the Ron Seal name, right? Give your business the Ron Seal name. Give your job descriptions the Ron Seal treatment, right? Real clear. The second is easy. It's easy to act. It's easy to buy. Easy's got the most important thing. In the age of Amazon, prime and gross convenience, easy. People are able to do their job. They're able to buy from you. That's the most critical thing. You know, the idea there is remove the blockages, just make it easy. And then the final word is beneficial. Are there beneficial outcomes to working for you or to buying from you? And if there are, state them emphasize them, show people that you meet their outcomes and you have a good shot of being able to work with them again. That is the that is the key. And I think this is what I want to pick your brains on as well, Scott, because I've heard you speak about this before. And it's all about prospective customers, because lots of our businesses and lots of our listeners are using technology to reach out to people that they don't know, they've not spoken to before. And I'm sure you know of some really good do's and don'ts about that process of reaching out to people who you want to do business with and how to approach that in the right way. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not an expert on sales, but I do know psychologically what gets people to connect to you the quickest, and that is commonality. Uh, we know that the moment you demonstrate with another person that you and them create a we in some way there's some sense of unity between you that they are far more open to hear what you have to say because they perceive you as being like them it's an evolutionary hack of we're in the same tribe and you're safe and i'm safe so the the you know the way that you might use this let's say you're on linkedin is you see somebody who's a prospect and you might say hey i see that we both know so and so and or we both went to such and such university or we both have a connection to here um and then that gives you some sense of connection you could say i work and then and then that's where you're going to be clear and not deceptive right i do x 
I'm not sure if anyone is getting you the results that you would like with X, but if not, I would love to chat to you about that. I'm available. The, the way that this is done badly is people create fake commonality. So they will do something like, hey, I see you're a human and I'm a human, which means we both breathe. Um, I'd love to pick your brains on X, Y, Z matter, which is code for sell to you. And this is now just unclear and inauthentic. Right. So the, the, the trick is to find a real point of commonality and then to just unashamedly offer what it is that you have without any coercion. And I wonder if the so the first line is so important, isn't it? Because you're going to turn somebody off on that first line or even the subject box of the email. What 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 helps to kind of keep their interest to line two when you're reaching out and you're trying to engage with a prospective customer? What I found works, bearing in mind that I do a lot of prospecting myself, uh, first of all, because I need business. And second of all, I want to be well practiced. Is I... I imagine I'm having coffee with them or I'm in a cafe and they're at the till and I want to go and say hello or they're in the pub and I want to go and say hello to them. And so what I normally do is my subject line would be something like um, connection request or, um, it, 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 you, know, re, re, you know, request for support or request of interest, something, something just like that. And then my first line will be, hi, so-and-so. And then I'll, or if I don't know them, they don't meet, I'll always begin with the same line, which is, please excuse the out of the blue email. I'm just being quite honest. Please excuse the fact that you this is an unsolicited email from me. Um, and then I'll say something like, I see you and I have so and so such and such in connection. I do this. I think I could I think I could be a benefit to you. At the very least, I think a, hot, a 25 minute conversation between you and I would be value to both of us based on what other people have said to me. So at the very least, I'm giving them something of value, which is a conversation with me might be helpful. Sounds quite arrogant, but actually if I am any good at what I do, then a 25 minute conversation with me should be valuable, right? If you're an accountant and you're looking for customers and you say, do you want a 25 minute conversation? That should be a damn valuable 25 minutes if you're any good at what you do. So that, that for me is just the standard way of going about it. And you do that enough times and your hit rate grows. And I think just for transparency, and especially when there's a myth sometimes in business, especially people who are new to business, that actually the, the deal should be sewn up within a few phone calls. Actually, it isn't. So actually just having that first um, contact of just saying, let's have a, a conversation. The expectation is simply just that conversation, isn't it? And just to get over what it is that you can offer. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about maybe what that second, well, that first call could look like. Yeah. I mean, th there's there's a distinct difference between an unsolicited request from you and someone coming to you, right? And the difference is the context. When you approach someone in an unsolicited manner, the context is they weren't even thinking about you and now you're in their world. If you then immediately go into selling, that is assuming that they have given you the context to sell, which generally they won't have. So your job right now isn't isn't selling. It's what I call awaring. And the point of awaring is to get their permission to go into selling. 
which they may grant you and they might not grant you. And you're going to be very open about the fact that right now you are wearing and not selling. Now, I know this might sound like, oh, pish pash. That's just a really nice rhyming thing. It doesn't actually, it's not really true in real life. I think, so here's the difference. There's Matt on LinkedIn, right? And I see him. I don't know Matt from Adam. And I contact him and say, hey, Matt, I do X. I don't know whether whether you have anyone helping you. If it be of interest, I'd like to talk to you. Um, no obligation call. I'm sure, you know, I hope that you'd find it valuable. I know I would or whatever. You and I have a conversation. In that conversation, I am not going to try and sell to you. My line will be, Matt, this has been really great. If you would like to book a business meeting where we can discuss this, then we can do that. Do you want to get your diary out? Or I'm glad that I've been able to share this with you. If you know someone who might be able to use my services, I'm here. Likewise, I will bear you in mind for people that I introduce. And there we are. We are now aware of each other. Currently, there is no opportunity for selling, but there has been for a wearing, then that's good. And there is always opportunity for a wearing. The difference is if someone comes to you and reaches out to you and they say, I'm interested in X, your job now is not a wearing. Your job now is selling. And if you do a wearing, you are actually not meeting their need. Because they're the one who's got an itch and now you need to help them scratch it. So on one hand, you need to know when to be soft and you know when also when to be, I don't know if hard is the right phrase, but just clear. And this is a sales meeting. This is a business meeting versus this is a awareness meeting. They're two separate things and they should exist separately. Sometimes they merge into one meeting. I think that happens rarely and they need to give you very clear permission. And like always, the way to engage people in this it's just to be clear and to ask up front <laughs> and not try to convince them um, and not try to like, you know, be deceptive and con them and, and, and you know, strong arm them or do some jujitsu or judo that gets them into admitting the sale. You just say, would you like to have a business meeting about this? And they might say yes, or they might say no. Well, I'll tell you what, you've got to offer it because if you don't offer it, very unlikely will they ask for it. And it's that clarity, which is at the heart of it again, isn't it? You said you said 30 minutes ago, communication is key and clarity is key and knowing where you stand and when you're wearing and when you're selling and you're just having that conversation, it's about clarity again. If it is about wearing, how frequently do you have to be? How frequently are you using, for example, free services like LinkedIn to, to generate awareness? Or is this something that you do periodically? I think if you imagine your life as a consumer, selling is a real normal thing. Every day, people are spending 10, 20 pounds on incidental junk. Coffee, chocolate bar, train ticket, magazine, uh, podcast subscription, whatever it might be, right? Every day, people are spending incidental amounts of money. We are spenders. Every day, not only that, people are putting through hundreds of millions of pounds in deals through the stock markets and all this stuff. It's just, it's normal. Every day, people are buying stuff on credit happens all the time and we are in a world where people where people and products and services are constantly being aware to us you know you walk into a convenience store there's a whole bunch of a wearing you know they say that you see what is it five thousand ads a day or something whatever the number is you see it everywhere right so i think the the, the rule that marketing knows is marketing knows that you've got the difference between building brand awareness and then the moment of sales activation. 
Brand awareness is a long-term activity that you are constantly building so that when they need to buy you, you are in the mind. And that's the that's the work of positioning within marketing. The other thing is then actually the call to action of you want me now, I'm here right now. So if you take a Snickers bar, right? Snickers will do this work in the background of making themselves aware so that when you are hungry, why wait? Have a Snickers, right? They've worked that phrase into your mind and now you get them. So my job as a service provider is I am constantly just ensuring that people are aware and that I'm reminding them of my existence and the problems that I solve. Not in a shove it down your throat way, but also not in a feast and famine way where I post loads on LinkedIn and I do some adverts and I write in magazines and I do podcasts and I have a flurry of activity. Then I disappear and you don't hear from me from six months because I'm busy doing work. Then I come back and you hear from me again because I was gone busy doing work and now I'm back. That's that's just going to keep you in a feast famine cycle. What the good brands know to do is they are constantly building their brand, which is to say they are awareing, constantly awareing. And we do this as humans, right? Because you will text your mate you haven't spoken to in a while and say, hey, how are you? <laughs> so it's the same. Yeah, I like to say there isn't a, an employee or customer part of our brain. Right, Our brains treat anything like we treat anyone. It, 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 there, there, we don't have these separate areas. So the job of many of us is just to remain aware. The old school way of doing this was advertising in magazines and on billboards and things. Now we have social media. But of course, what many people do on social media is they make the mistake of not talking about what they do because they're trying to like do this kind of whole soft sell thing. And then they don't actually make make you aware of what they do because they're trying to deceive you. It's better just be clear about what it is that you do and say that on a reg on a regular enough basis. But it doesn't need to be a sales line. It just needs to be clear. There's the word. I do this. My packages are this. The benefit is this. Brilliant. I think it's this broadcasting yourself. It's self broadcasting, which is sort of the lubricant to awareing, isn't it? It's just clear, honest communication, regular communication on what you are doing. Yeah, and I know Ollie Barrett, who was on episode one of our podcast, talked about the importance of... Yeah, Ollie, great guy. Talked about the importance of uh, broadcasting. Tell me what's on the future then, uh, Scott. What's going to be keeping you busy in this world of engagement moving forward over the next 12 months? I have been busy... <laughs> working with organizations on quick ways to increase engagement right with their employees their colleagues their customers their clients their communities um, i'm now going to be offering public uh, public classes in that once a month um, at the at the uh, on the last tuesday of every month i'll be doing a, a public workshop where we're going to go through and talk through some of these issues um, there'll be 90 minute sessions where we go through a concept, practice some exercises, and then put stuff in our diary that we say we're going to commit to practicing this. Very clear, very actionable, very beneficial, very simple, um, which is, I think, my brand, my brand of engagement, really simple stuff. Um, so that's what's going to be keeping me busy. And of course, um, I've also started a master's, Matt, um, as I think you know, which I know. Yeah. I'm... Um, slightly worried about i'm 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 uh, yeah i'm a bit worried because it will be a lot of work i expect and is this positive it's in positive positive psychology is that the name of the what's the name of the master yeah it's 
It's with University of East London, so it's um, they they were the first university in Europe to offer a course on po positive psychology. Yeah, man. After the initial one that was offered by Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, on positive psychology, and so the course is created by Alona Bonnywell, who's like a leading European figure. Basically, positive psychology is the psychology of how you know wellness rather than pathology. So, how do we get people to be better? and thrive rather than how we get them to just not be mentally ill. Um, but I'll be looking at how do we do that with employees and customers. So I'm quite excited to see how does wellness apply to our customers uh, as well as our employees. Tell us about um, how people get in touch, Scott. If if people have really, if small businesses have enjoyed hearing all about your expertise in this area and engagement, how do they find out more about you? Well, I think if you're a small business listening to this, you will know that I like to do a wearing. So you will be very welcome to uh, go to my website, scottgould.com or email me, scott at scottgould.com. And I will be happy to spend 25 minutes with you awareing each other about what we do. And if there's a chance for, for selling, then we can discuss that. And if there isn't, I am very happy to have met you. I tell you what, um, I, do a lot, I, I mentioned I do a lot of work with the UN. It took me two years of staying in touch with someone before that turned into my first contract. Now they're my biggest client. And it just, just shows, right? Awareing, staying in touch. These are worthwhile endeavours if we do them with intention. I'd be welcome to do that with you. ScottGould.com Thank you so much to my guest, Scott Gould. I hope you enjoyed listening today. And please check out some of our previous episodes with Northeast top entrepreneur Raman Segal, um, Scott Wilkinson and Joe Marshall, all about university business collaboration and including the important topic of mental health in sport business with me and Natasha Madonna. This podcast is developed and delivered by the team at Northumbria University who deliver the Help to Grow Management Scheme. For further information, please visit northumbria.ac.uk forward slash help to grow.